Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. G'day guys, this week on Back Chat we have part one of John Worstfall. That's right, we chatted to him for so long, we've got two parts coming at you and gotta be honest, probably the best episode of Back Chat to date. This part one, we cover his playing career. Uh, remember he was involved in the inaugural West Coast Eagles side, so coming up through the trenches, basically what they had to do as a footy club flying in and out of Victoria, moved his way uh, into the captain position, captain to premierships with the footy club and played on some of the great full forwards and and forwards of our time, Dunstall, Lockett, Ablett, all those guys. Some great stories, some cracking stories about those premiership years for the Eagles. If you love the Eagles, clearly you're going to love this one from John Worsfold. But even if you don't, one of the great football men of, uh, you know, of our time. So it's a great one. This is part one. Uh, hope you enjoy this. There'll be part two next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Give us a rating and follow Back Chat on YouTube to watch all of our episodes. Best way to support us as, an, as a podcast, tell your mates. If you like what we do, tell your mates. Get them to tell their mates. And before you know it, we'll take over the world. Enjoy it. Welcome everybody, live back chat from Whippersnapper, here we go, Scoey's getting into media land now, powered by Fleet Network, I'll just switch on, I'll just, just come into this different human being, we've got John Worsfold in the house, a big round of applause for John Worsfold. <laughs> now, Woosha, I know you're a big fan of back chat, because you're a backman for most <laughs> of your career, and we're going to get to that, but I want to ask you the first question we ask every guest, every guest we've ever had on back chat gets the same question straight up. I want to know your greatest sporting achievement, not in football. We, we know you're a premiership captain. We know you're a premiership coach. We know you're a hard hitter. You're ruthless on the field. Right? The smiling assassin. We know all that. Right? <laughs> okay? we, we know all that. Best and fairest winner with the West Coast. You're a, you're a club legend. You're a West Australian legend. It's an award named after him. There, yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. But that's all in football. Yeah. I want to know what you can do on the sporting scope, not in football. Your greatest sporting achievement, not in footy. Have you got one that springs to mind? Um, yeah, the one, the, the story that I probably tell the most that bores people the most. Uh, but <laughs> right. I love the Great, story. yeah, please start with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I played a game of A-grade 
cricket for Fremantle Cricket Club. Wow. Uh, and uh, I was the 12th man. And Jeff Marsh got the call up to go and play for Australia, so he couldn't field the second. He batted the first week. The next week he, he was unavailable because he had better priorities. <laughs> and I, I actually wasn't even 12th man. I'd retired from cricket. And I got a call saying, we need someone to come and field. We know you played last year. You've given cricket away. Do you want to come and field for the A grade? What so, year is this and how old are you? Uh, I was probably 18 or 19. Right. And um, I went up and fielded and, and took a match-saving catch on the boundary line. They fielded me on the boundary line, like way <laughs> out of the way. Uh, and the, the actual bowler, who was a very good cricketer, was Peter Sumich. Really? Bowling his spinners, blokes try to smash him over the boundary line and I took a catch to one, give him a wicket and save six runs. So Huge. That's my greatest claim to fame. Yeah, very it's good. good. Yeah, 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 give that. I mean, it's no... Um, it's no five for 16 in a grand final, which is what I bowled. Um, under, that was under 12. Was a bit oh, like, I was going to say, was bit, it A-grade cricket? <laughs> no, no. It was okay. Stuart Hill Cricket Club, yeah. uh, D-grade, I think. But we didn't even win the, win the game. So I, well, uh, I didn't yeah, save the game like you. I'm sorry. I was going to get a copy of the actual score sheet and it just said court sub. So it, <laughs> it really didn't do me any favours. I want to take you all the way back. Well done. Um, now, this is powered by Fleet Network. Of course, Whippersnapper stepping involved here, but Fleet Network power the podcast. What was your first car, Woosher? Can you remember your first car? I'm imagining, yeah. what, what sort of car do you reckon Woosher drove down? Like a, like a VL, Commodore VL. That's very upmarket for me, was mate. My first car was a Mitsubishi Galant. Oh, the little, Galant. Uh, little orange, little orange, orange. beast. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the floor was rusted out. Um, <laughs> but that got me up to footy training and up to uni in the uh, early days until I graduated uh, when I became a really high-paid uh, footballer. In those, that, that first year at West Coast, I think I earned $18,000, but um, <laughs> that was enough for me to buy a brand new Camira, Holden Camira. Oh, wow. oh my God. Don't you reckon? I thought I was flash. <laughs> how, much, uh, how much money did you have left after that? Uh, I, I reckon I still had six grand left after that. It was only 12 grand brand new for a little Camira back then. That's unreal, mate. I want to take you back. So you talk about driving up to uni and footy. Um, John Worsfold was a kid. Know your brother, Peter. Uh, he, he was involved at the footy club. What was What was... Growing up life at the Worsfold house? Uh, it was pretty much all sport, as you can imagine. Had an older sister who was a good netballer, but very good athlete. Um, so weekends were all about athletics, netball, football, cricket, basketball, whatever was going around. So just, uh, yeah, a heap of sport nonstop. Was uh, getting around, watching each other play and supporting each other. But um, then at home, yeah, we had the usual uh, backyard cricket, we had a basketball sort of set up on the paving, uh, which got pretty pretty heated at times. Pete, Pete's your younger brother. Yes. Um, so who who would win the fights? Who would who would? Uh, Are you really asking that question, Scotty? <laughs> Seriously. Like, he used to tell me. He used to tell me he used to beat you. No, he he wouldn't. He wouldn't even be able to lie about that. Like. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, we, we were pretty close, but uh, we had a couple of run-ins. And, um, yeah, one, he did whack me. He fed income, swung and gave me uh, like a right hook. He would have been 12, I reckon, so I was like 13 and a half. And then he just disappeared for like three hours. I was looking everywhere for him and I could not find him. He reckons he took off like three blocks away and just sat under a bush for a few hours until I cooled down. He, uh, he, he went on to play for Brisbane. Like he was a good footballer in his own right. And you were at West Coast. You know, how was that dynamic? I mean, yeah, all pretty good. I mean, he um, 
he played 30-odd games for Brisbane over two or three three years, I think, and only ever played one game against him. So that was in uh, 1992, I think. Uh, no, 1990, yeah, 1992. We played Brisbane up at the up on Carrara on the Gold Coast. Uh, they were struggling, and we we were coming off losing a grand final the previous year, but like expecting to be one of the top sides in the comp. So we went up there ready to smash them. Mum and Dad flew over. It was the first time the two brothers ever played against yes. each other, and uh, we come a draw. <laughs> Game really? was a draw. Really? Fair dinkum. And um, I think Mum and Dad ducked in the Eagles' rooms, and like Mick had just given it to us, and we were all like <laughs> devastated. <laughs> and they went into the Brisbane rooms, and they were cracking champagne and <laughs> celebrating. It was like it's the same result, but totally different response. Did you match up on each other? No, but Pete tells a story that uh, something happened within the game that just rolled me. I'm not sure what, but I had a Brisbane player in an uncomfortable position. Like, <laughs> a headlock. Pretty much, where he was uh, struggling to breathe. And Pete thought, I'd better go over and help my teammate out, but how's this going to go? It's my brother, and he's mad. And um, Pete ran over, and as he got like two metres away, he said, hey, let him go. And he reckons I looked around and just let him go. And that right. was it, yeah. It's like my brother said, asked me to do something, I did it. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, Pete <laughs> ran off. Like I probably <laughs> got the bloke back in a headlock. But, <laughs> yeah. um, just for that minute, I uh, obeyed. So um, you went way through South Fremantle uh, and into the inaugural West Coast side, studying a new football club. Like, what, what's, what's that like? Because, look, we've had some examples uh, of the past with Gold Coast and GWS, but the sides that have been coming in haven't been new. Like, you're a brand new football club. You don't have a club song. You don't have facilities. What's that no, like? We and, had, you were, uh, and you were young too. Yeah, I'd just turned 18 and they got the squad together for the first time. And uh, like three years earlier, I was wearing a number four North Melbourne Guernsey to footy training. Right. Um, and I'd done that for seven or eight years through my junior footy career. And Ross Glendinning was my idol. Right. And he was the inaugural captain of West Coast. So I remember the first time we all came together, I was nervous. Like, really, it was only the other two South Fremantle players on the list uh, in Wally Matera and David Hart that would have recognised me, I reckon. Yeah. Um, anyway, I got introduced to Ross Glendinning, and I, I was pretty young. And uh, I remember going up to him myself to introduce myself. And I actually said, and this was stupid, but <laughs> I went up and said, oh, g'day, Ross, I'm John Warsfold. I'm one of the players. <laughs> you know, I thought he might have thought I was a water boy or something like that. Uh, and he said, I know who you are, you know. Uh, so that was a bit of a thrill to, uh, to meet Ross. But, yeah, we had – there'd been no announcement of a name, colours or anything. So we, we had no training kit. We were just given plain uh, Puma shorts, plain Puma T-shirts and singlets to train in um, at Aquinas College because we had no ground to train at. None of the waffle clubs were happy with this new club uh, mm. being formed to join the VFL comp, so they banned us from using their grounds. So we couldn't train at any waffle ground, including Subaco Oval. So uh, we were at Aquinas College and then at Mount Lawley Teachers College, which is now ECU in Mount Lawley. Um, that was our training base. Right. And the players you started with, like there was 32 of you, so... 35 on the inaugural list. Right. Yep. I mean, that's that's small. An AFL list probably looks more like 42, 45. That's a small group of players. All West Australian, there's it's imports as well. Um, Very West Australian dominant, at least. Yeah, I reckon uh, pretty much... Uh, Jeff Miles was on the inaugural list. Uh, he was a Victorian, but was over here playing for Claremont at the time. Did it very early on feel like Western Australia versus the East Coast? Um, Oh, to some degree, uh, but we were like I 
we were just getting to know each other as well. Mm. Like we'd only I'd only played against a lot of these guys once in in one year of league footy with South Fremantle prior to it being formed. So we were actually all just getting to know each other and get ourselves together as a group. But um, yeah, at the time we had a list of thirty five. Every Victorian club, including Brisbane, who joined the same year, were, had lists of fifty two. So uh, they had a, a big list to choose from. Um, the VFL and their wisdom when they made the rules up, they said, well, you guys can have 35, that'll do you. Uh, see how you go with that. Um, uh, but, we, you know, we, we became very tight-knit, very close. We didn't um, get too phased by not having a ground to train at, um, by, like, having temporary home base. Um, took us a while, as I said, to, to before we actually got any kitted out with any actual gear that felt like was it, we were now part of a club. And we had no idea about travelling every every week or every second week. And in in that first year or two, uh, we would be fixtured back to back games away. It was like no one really knew what they were doing. So, so were you in and out, like what were you? Yeah, we would over come there? home. But yeah. the last uh, game of our first year, we played on a Sunday on the Gold Coast, and then we were fixtured to play in Melbourne on the Friday night. So it was like one. It was a very short break. Yes. Thanks for that. And then it was like, well, what's we won't get back to Perth till late Monday night and we'll be back on the plane on Wednesday to go back. So we stayed on the Gold Coast for a, a Sunday night, Monday night, which was a mistake with guys like Chris Mainwaring and a couple of others <laughs> on the list. Um, and uh, then we went down to Melbourne and stayed in Melbourne um, Wednesday, Thursday, prepping for the game. So this is 86, 87. You win the best and fairest in 88. You lead the club in disposals, in marks. And in tackles. So I'm reading this, right? I'm doing preparation for this interview. John Worsfold, leading disposals, marks, tackles. You're a dour defender at stage of your career. Don't look at me like that because you're scaring <laughs> me, but you were. You were. You're a, you're a hard-nosed defender. You're not running around getting a touch. 1988, you're a midfielder, John Worsfold. My, my, my defensive hero, I grew up watching John Worsfold, the defender. You're a midfielder, weren't you? Well, I got all that rubbish out of my system early, <laughs> Scully, and then grew up, you know, and became a man and <laughs> went into the back line. The men's department so, in the back line. Absolutely. So, so you had to mature before they let you in. Down did, back. did you, you know, was that, you're a junior midfielder and, and, and played in there? And that's how Yeah, that my, whole, my whole junior career was playing as a midfielder. In, in those days, basically, you were called the centreman, played in the centre. Um, my first year of league footy with South Fremantle, I played alongside Mark Bairstow as a, a ruck rover alongside him. Um, he went on and won the Sandover medal that year. Uh, I think we looked the same. He must have got a few of my votes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so um, I, yeah, I, was, I, I grew up as a running, a running midfielder. Um, and then when I started at West Coast, for the first two or three years, I played a fair bit through the midfield mm. what was the the transition of like from waffle to to afl or vfl footy at the time was it much different yeah for us it was going from for the majority of us who just watched vfl footy on telly with the winners you know on a sunday night um we idolized those guys but it always seemed so far away so, so much a higher level so all of a sudden when we were prepping to uh to play in the vfl I just remember every week we were talking about the big names that we were going to be playing against, whether it was Dougie Hawkins or Robbie Flower, um, 
Peter Dacos, you know, every week we're going, oh, how good is this? <laughs> we're going to be playing against these guys and then going out to see who you were going to line up on and uh, talking about that after the game. So it was, yeah, it was uh, as much as we were there to compete and try and match ourselves against us, we were pretty much in awe of the competition for that first year or so. 88, your best and fairest. 89, your vice captain. By 91, your captain. Mick Moldhouse is appointed coach, sort of hand in hand, how, how that goes. Uh, how old are you there? 23? Uh, yes. Was a young yeah. young captain? Did leadership come naturally to you, or was it something that was forced upon you? How, how did you know? That's a young young man becoming captain. Yeah, um, I don't know. My, you you don't know what you're doing is leadership, but I worked hard, so I trained extremely hard. I never took shortcuts. I was diligent with everything I did. I followed, uh, like I supported the the coaches in what we were trying to do, and I'd talk to other players, even as a young player, about what I thought was in line with what we were doing and what wasn't. I wasn't afraid to speak up if I didn't think people were abiding by what, what the values we were trying to uh, play by. Um, so those things were just happening along the way without me trying to be a leader. It was just who I was. Um, and then, yeah, Mick Malthouse, uh Well, being made a young vice-captain, I think John Todd was coaching at the time, uh, but there was multiple vice-captains at that point. Um, so I was one of them. Um, and then I think maybe the following year, a sole vice captain, and then um, made captain at the end of well, acting captain in the nineteen ninety final series. Um, so at that stage, I was only just turning twenty. Uh, oh, sorry, twenty one, and um, and then made full time captain for the ninety one season. Yeah. So you play in a grand final in your first year as full time captain. Yep. Lose it. Yeah, yeah. Can't remember that, I'm assuming. It wasn't my fault. Uh, <laughs> uh, players did not follow the lead uh, on that day. But um, I managed to uh, talk them into having another crack the next year. <laughs> so it was all you. You're an uh, early 20s yeah. captain for a grand final. Are you like? What's your rev-up speech like? Are you a giving question. it to them? Or yeah, or? my rev-up speech was... I reckon my teammates would have just been shaking their heads saying, <laughs> leave us out of that. You are mad. Like, we are not going to just go head first and try and knock everyone out. Which are, like, we're, just, we're here to try and play footy. Um, so they would uh, sort of look at me and smile and uh, tolerate me and then say, let's just go play footy, boys. <laughs> Thanks, sure thinks this is like war and uh, we're just going to be punching on the whole game. But... 92, 94, incredible years for the football club. So you come off 91, you lose that. There's a saying in footy that you've got to lose one to win one. Um, you know, I, I play, played a part of a team that lost one and then won one. 05, lost. 06, win. 91, lose. It has happened, but do you subscribe to that? You've got to lose one to no, win one? No, obviously not at all. Um, when you're involved in that, it's sort of front of mind. You think, well, you do learn from, from those losses, but I'd much rather have won all of them, you know, yes. and not lost any. Um, but that was just the way it panned out. At the end of 1991, I've got no doubt, we were, we were a really young team that year, really talented and on the way up. Um, but it had been a pretty tough year. We had a tough final series um, and that had come off a really tough year the year before where I think our last six games in a row we travelled for and we had the drawn final in, at the end of 1990 with Collingwood, the last final that you had to replay. Um, so that extended the season out for us and we were pretty banged up and exhausted by the end of that. We got ourselves up for 91, but I think being so young, we just tailed off towards the end of the year and had nothing left for the grand final. Um, 
mind you, we were playing a very hard-edged gun team in uh, Hawthorne at the very end of their um, unbelievably dominant era. So, yeah, 91 was um, a big learning year for us, but we had great belief. and um, But we got a bit of a wake-up call early in 1992 when um, we honestly felt like we were going to be hard to beat in 1992. And I think at round seven we were three wins and a draw, and one of those draws was that Brisbane game I was talking about. But, right. um, yeah, we weren't travelling very well, and uh, we sort of sat down and had a bit of a heart-to-heart after an away game in the rooms and set things straight and got back into action from there. 92, um, I've had a few boys from the team tell a story. So a grand final day, I think you were doing maybe a warm-up in the morning out at uh, whatever, over Gosh's paddock there at, at the MCG. Geelong fan, so I'm a Geelong boy wisher, as you know. Um, look, Geelong people, I love them. Cut from a bit of a different cloth to the most. <laughs> They, they're a quite vocal bunch of supporters. They were giving you a, they'd rocked up at eight AM basically on the VBs. Here's yeah. this West Australian side throwing beers at you. There was, I think yeah. I think a beer landed in the group, didn't it? <laughs> Mate, it? No, it could have. <laughs> uh, we'll go with that. Yeah, um, thanks. I heard Maney scold a beer. <laughs> no, <laughs> game that's, day. That's getting a bit carried away, but um, <laughs> we were staying at the what was called the Hilton Hotel, which was opposite the ground. Um, and we'd gone to do a little warm-up. It was actually in those Fitzroy Gardens right next to yep. the, um, uh, the hotel where we were staying. So we'd done a little warm-up through there and there were a few people around at that stage. But we got back to the hotel, we had a meeting and then we were getting ready to go over to the, ga- to the ground at a, you know, about 11 o'clock, 11.30. And then Mick had told us uh, we're going to walk over to the change rooms. So to do that from the hotel, you had to walk through the whole car park uh, of the MCG when people were still allowed to park in all those parklands surrounding the ground. So we had to walk through there, and that's where people had been in there since 8am, having their champagne breakfast, their their tailgate barbecues, (laughs) drinking beers. So you imagine they'd they'd been there since 8, we're wandering over about 11.30 in our bright blue and yellow (laughs) tracksuits. This group, we started off all sort of pretty relaxed and casual, and spread out a bit, and after we got a few mouthfuls and people getting quite aggressive, we were in real tight, like just moving like that, and uh, starting to get the tempo up, thinking let's just get to the change rooms and, and get going. But would definitely be, I believe, the only grand final team that had walked a kilometre and a half through the crowd, uh, the park car park, to get to the... MCG for grand final day. Do you, do you think that's a strategic thing from Mick? Because he seems like that sort of guy that would plan that. Yeah, yeah, there would have been something deep in Some Mick's head. So like, <laughs> I hope people come and have a go at us. Like, let's <laughs> see the boys fire up. But, um. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And, and they were quite vocal, you know. They were uh, death threats, as in... <laughs> Uh, Ablett's going to kill you, Matera, you know, sort of <laughs> things like that. And uh, all those things were, were going on. Um, so we look back on it fondly, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it was on edge. It really was. Who did you play on that day? Ablett. Yeah, I played on Ablett. So Peter Matera's him? looking at me when he's hearing that going, you're not going to let that happen, <laughs> are you? Wish I please. Because <laughs> he kicked one that day. No, nah, I think he kicked two or three, actually, but... Not on you. Like, one of them in dead time, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, Don't I, was, I know what that's like. Don't I think I was over-hugging Jacko because we were going to win and he snuck <laughs> off and kicked a goal. And I'm like, mate, who cares? But anyway. So, and the man that's come from the midfield, one of the best and fairest as a midfielder, 92, captain, you've transformed yourself into a man and playing in the back line against Gary Ablett, who, my childhood hero, everyone in Geelong's childhood hero... Is that intimidating coming in against that, or are you, are you taking it to him? You, you looking him in the eye and taking it right up to him? It's pretty nerve wracking, yeah. but not intimidating. It's like um, all you can do is go out and have a crack, do your best. Like you know how good he is. He's the sort of guy that can kick ten goals on you if you're not on. Yeah, well, all week leading up to that game, the media stories were about uh, Gary Ablett's going to be our key player in this game. And his last grand final, he kicked nine goals and won the Norm Smith medal. So I'm reading all that going, oh, yeah, I'm going to stop reading the paper because all you kept reading was how good Ablett was. Um, yes. You know, and the fact that he was a bit stronger than me and a bit bigger than me and jumped way higher than me and kicked the ball on both feet 15 metres further than me, uh, I wasn't that daunted. <laughs> I was like, I'll just have a go. But, um, yeah, look, I, I had played on him before uh, and I knew what I was up against and what you rely on is obviously uh, good pressure from, from the rest of the team and maybe Peter Matera kicking a lot of goals off the wing <laughs> keeps the ball away from me and Ablett, which was n- nice and handy. Did you get him in 94 as well? No, I think Michael Brennan played on him in 94, right. yeah. And in 94, he had, uh, he, he had an f- unbelievable year and I think Monkey kept him either goalless or... He kicked one. Or to one, yeah. Monkey did a brilliant job that day. You, but, didn't, you I mean, didn't want him? Uh, yeah, no, Mick was sort of like that. Um, roles had changed. Michael Brennan actually played centre forward in 1992 um, because he'd been injured and came, like, he was such a key part of everything we'd built up. Um, Mick squeezed him into the team in the forward line. Um, But by 94, he was back as a solid key key part of our back six and and he took Ablett. Bluey McKenna had played on Ablett a number of times as well. Um, So it really depended on the mix of of what Mick wanted on the day. Um, So Monkey took him that day and, as I said, did a great job. Did he talk much on the field? Not a lot, no. Not a lot. I I got him going a couple of times, but... um, he was generally pretty quiet, yeah. What do you mean so he got him going? Was it, did you used to try to get players not focus on the game? Was that a part of the... Yeah, absolutely it was, yeah. The like, wish was special. The yeah. more you could get them to, to not be thinking about trying to kick goals and beat you, the better. You know, get them thinking about, like, what an idiot you are or <laughs> um, whatever it is. If you can get their focus off the game, there's a slight advantage there for you. So, uh, But Ablett was one of those guys... Like, 
if he looks like calm, don't fire him up. Just because he, he might be just cruising around thinking I might just try and kick one or two today. That'll do me. You know, it's my RDO. Um, <laughs> but if you fire him up and get him wanting to get the footy in, on he, in his hands just to show you up, like you could be in trouble. So generally I would uh, I'd try and read the mood, you know, and um, work out where we're going. But there were a few times when he cleaned teammates up and a couple where... I wasn't actually playing on him, so then I didn't care if I fired him up. Um, and I, I, I sort of went and had cracks at him after that had happened uh, and, yeah, had said things to him that caught his attention, put it that way, and uh, got, a, got a pretty good reaction a couple of times. Um, yeah, he got angry a couple of times there. Yeah. This is so funny. Without ever talking to you about this properly, I literally just can't stop thinking about my time against players we're actually, we actually do exactly the same thing, which I used to just love talking shit to blokes. Not because I like talking shit. I actually don't. I'm, yeah. I'm quite insular and I don't really want to do it. But getting them going and seeing that reaction that you're talking about, you still remember. This is, this is 30 years ago, Wush. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's a part of the craft. And maybe we're losing it. I don't know. Maybe we're losing it in today's game. But back on 92 and 94, what's it like in town at that time? Um, premiership players... Had Carl Langdon on the podcast a few weeks ago, Whoosh. Um, reckoned he was rolling into, I don't know, what, what rumours and all these other <laughs> nightclubs. A few old, there's a few old laughs going on back here. Uh, in your, in your, I was told you were heading into nightclubs, not you personally, in your tracksuits, in West Coast tracksuits. You'd go straight, straight there, that, no worries. That, that had happened. Yeah, <laughs> that had happened. We would travel back in our tracksuits and land at 11 o'clock at night. It was like... No time to go and get changed. Straight to a nightclub. <laughs> in like, and they were terrible tracksuits. Imagine um, that. Just roll it in the front door of the nightclub. No yeah. worries. West Coast team's here. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, that's just how it was at the time. Um, yeah, you know, obviously after that, uh, that 92 win, the, the town had pretty much stopped to watch that game. If you can imagine how big it is now, even like 2018 grand final, what it meant to the town. But there's two teams in town. And, and there's been other premierships taken out of Victoria through uh, us and Sydney and Brisbane and Adelaide, Port Adelaide. But um, back then, no team outside Victoria had ever won a premiership. Mm. So this was big. And uh, when we won it, um, like, I don't know, I, I was pretty naive. I, I was like a nerd, just train hard. <laughs> Go to footy. I didn't go out a lot. I didn't know the. I didn't know places like this existed. You know, <laughs> um, I knew where a couple of nightclubs were. Um, but yeah, we were uh, going into pubs and just being fated. I, like I'm sure for the, for a couple of weeks, um, we didn't have to buy a drink. Um, the red carpet was rolled out. To, people were trying to get us into their venues. You know, so um, yeah, it was a bit of an eye opener. Um, good fun. Um, and generally trouble-free, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. We, um, speaking of Carl Langdon, he told us about a time when um, everyone pitched in to bet on a first goal scorer. Um, do you remember that happening? Um, I don't remember that, no. I remember betting on beating Brisbane in a game. Yeah. That, when you guys that, were playing? Yeah, we were playing Brisbane. And s- yeah. I don't think it was John, a player. John, this is John Todd. John Todd's yeah. spoken about this. Yeah. He was a coach, right? He was... the pretty sure he was a coach and, and it was someone else that was on either the match committee I can't remember exactly but someone who liked betting and said these are our odds to beat Brisbane I reckon we're a Monty to beat them like what are, what are the bookies doing that's like 
<laughs> and uh, someone went around and said, let's all put in whatever, 20 bucks or something like that and put some money on us, which we did. And we won. And then someone silly, like, <laughs> bragged about it. But they, they, had the room, they had the cameras in the rooms post-game. What they do, yeah. rhyming Brian Taylor. I've seen the footage. Yeah. They go and speak to Toddy and he goes, yeah, mate, we put a thousand bucks on us to win. No worries. <laughs> yeah, we done it. It was great. And then... <laughs> And then it sort of cuts back to the news radio and he goes, and, and, and Mr. Todd has said that uh, he was just joking. He was trying to um, entertain the players. And then it cuts back to the vision in the rooms. It's one of the boys going, yeah, I got my 50 bucks out of my bag. We chucked it straight on. One thousands of bucks. It was bloody unreal. Next player, next player. So you blokes have yeah. loaded up on yourself. Yeah, we did. And we won. And then uh, we got fined the exact amount of the winnings um, by the uh, VFL. Or the, I think it was the VFL. Um, and we might have the club might have got fined something as well, but you know there were no. Uh, from my recollection, there was that probably what brought the rules in about gambling on, yeah. on footy in because um, yeah, our understanding was there was no rules around it. But obviously, <laughs> lucky we won. Like, yeah. Lucky we didn't back Brisbane yeah. and they win. I think they're worried more about you know teams tanking and and losing and, and yeah. throwing games you blokes were just like we're better than these blokes we're going to yeah, beat yeah. them no <laughs> more yeah. incentive and i reckon we won by a mile too yeah. probably because we put the money on yeah. like we fired up a bit yeah. <laughs> yeah. so 92 94 couple of flags incredibly successful period for the footy club um you, you played on some of the greats during that time and huge matchups on players have you got memories about certain players whether at oppo or or teammates, just great teammates or great opposition. Yeah, oh, I played with so many great teammates. Um, you'd have to you just reel off everyone who lined up in that mm-hmm. era. Um, but yeah, opponents obviously playing uh, not far from Tony Lockett coming out of the goal square. Uh, you know, I was I was uh, five meters away when he knocked Bluey McKenna out cold, and he caught four weeks, I think, for that one. Um, that was the start. That was like I think nineteen eighty eight. Louis' first year, I think, or second year in 89 maybe, but that was the start of um, Bluey getting a really bad habit of getting carried off on a stretcher like he did it so many times. It was like at least eight times, I reckon, at least eight. Um, anyway, that was the first one. Uh, so that was one like, Bluey's only been in the squad for a year or two. Do I go and put my life on the line and go and have a crack at plugger or do I just go, I think it was an accident. Well, yeah, life on the line. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, you know, Plugger was just a freak. Dunst, all those guys, uh, I didn't play always directly on them, but watching our boys try and work on, uh, you know, Jason Dunstall, Paul Salmon, some of these guys, um, obviously Ablett and Lockett. Um, and then you've got uh, Peter Dacos, um, who I played on a fair bit. Um, one of the other guys who's not as big a name, but was certainly as good a goal kicker was Paul Hudson playing for uh, the Hawks, Hawks yep. generally. Um, I think he ended up at the Bulldogs for a little while. Yep. Um, we had a pretty good rivalry. I, I call it pretty good. I think he says it was a terrible rivalry. <laughs> he hated it. But, um, yeah, uh, and, and the early days, playing on Dougie Hawkins or Robbie Flower, some of these big big champions of the game was uh, was pretty exciting. We had Dougie on last week, didn't we? It mm. was a very, very Legend. good chat. Had some good laughs with Dougie. What about the reputation of, of being a hard hitter, a ruthless, take no backward step? I know you personally, and 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 um, look, you're still scared of me to this day. I wish I used to struggle to walk into your coach's office, but <laughs> I also know you to the point where you don't walk around bumping blokes on the street. You are a kind, soft, soft, soft man inside somewhere. That that hard, 
yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we think. Yeah. Where is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that is that fair? That, that the stuff on the field was that was that a was that a, above who you were as a person, and was it something you tried to do enforce? You know, physicality, be physical. Yeah, make people take a backward step. It became something I did. Um, as a young kid, I played. I went hard at the footy. You know, I, I loved the contest. Um, would shepherd hard, teammates protect them, um, tackle hard. So I loved all that stuff. Um, and then in the AFL, I just remember uh, in those early days with West Coast, there was so much commentary, whether it was a beat-up media commentary, um, Victorian-centric crowds, but talking about the fact that they, this West Australian group of players will not be able to play and cope with the smaller grounds, the heavy, muddy grounds in Victoria. They'll be okay on that big wide open ground at Subiaco, which is always hard, but they will not be able to deal with the physicality of Victorian football. And, you know, I took a bit of offence to that and uh, they did, um, when we played away, uh, and we were playing on the suburban grounds, so playing at Moorabbin, small ground, mad crowd, just baying for blood. <laughs> and no doubt that lifted the St Kilda players to think, let's crack into these blokes like we're at home. They're going to be so intimidated. Yeah. We copped it at Victoria Park with the Collingwood crowd, Windy Hill crowd. Uh, you know, there was that one game where someone from the crowd had Don Pike in a headlock over the fence. <laughs> you know, not, Actually. Not, not the Marlon Pickett just tapped him on the shoulder, had him in the headlock. Um, <laughs> So, actually, that actually happened. Yeah, it did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, when, when they took the cheap shots at us uh, in these suburban grounds and these rough, tough, the Saints or whoever it was, Pies, uh, I was not taking a backward step. I thought, we're going to show you that we're going to stand up for ourselves. Um, so, from, a, from early days in that team, um, if anything had happened to me, I would stand up for myself. I'd fight back. And if anything happened to a teammate, I'd try to be first in to support them as well. So, um, yeah, it was just making a statement that, uh, you know, that's it's not accurate the way you're talking about us and it's not the way we're going to be. You were, you only were sent to the tribunal four times. Is that all? That's it. I've... I don't, not that you're a, not that you're a dirty player, but it just seems like for all your yeah. you know, hard hits and stuff, because yeah. you know, there's some great. One hard... of them was for abusive language. Yeah, to the was, was it? What did you say? One and a half thousand dollars. What did you say? Oh, no, I can't repeat that. <laughs> it's like you don't get fine now. Hey, the, just ask him if you saw the, the, um, saw the free kick. Maybe. The age, I think it was the age newspaper printed the Verbatim. transcript of what I'd said, <laughs> and it was just all but blacked out. It was all asterisks and there was almost no. There wasn't no English words in there, but. It was directed at the umpire, so you can imagine what I was saying. You, you could fill in the blanks. But um, So you, you had two striking for two matches each, a $1,500 fine, and then no penalty for throat grabbing. Which yeah. is throat grabbing. 1995. Is that choking or is it just grabbing someone's against, throat? Do, do you know who? I, I, you all it know? says is 95 throat grabbing. I, could, I, I think that was Buddha hocking. Did, I'm was it? sure, yeah. Well, it was my juniors coach, Buddha. Good man. Yeah. No, he's a lovely bloke. A lovely bloke. He... Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I tackled him, I tackled him, a good tackle with the ball, and he sort of made this um, fake attempt to handball it out, so he just punched me in the head, like he just swung, punched me in the head, and as we went to the ground, he elbowed me in the face. So I got him pinned on the ground, and I, I actually ended up, like I was almost doing a handstand on his throat. I had my whole body weight 
on his neck on the ground and he was starting to kick because he couldn't breathe. He was starting to kick out and he was panicking. And uh, so he, I think in the end he thought, the only way I'm out of this, he's like trying to eye gouge me. He's like ripping at my eyes and he got busted. Like he could see clearly I'm trying to pull my hair away and my, his fingers are in my eyes and he got charged with misconduct for eye gouging. And at that stage, I wasn't charged with anything. And then all of a sudden the media went, oh, well... He's doing it because he's getting like choked. We better charge the other bloke too. So then I got charged with throat grabbing. Throat grabbing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Choking him. Yeah, I know. It was self defence throat grabbing. So that should have been all right. You, but you um, may have got off on that one because this says no. We both got off. He got off the eye gouging thing with like clear picture. Like, would you both go to tribunal? No, sorry, I didn't. Wasn't in my eye. I wasn't. Like wasn't that. grabbing his throat. Yeah, I, I would have said no. Nah, his finger's not really in my eye. You know, it's, I'm just making it look like it is. Yeah. <laughs> Round 13, 1995, Wasfold for grabbing G. Hocking by the throat. Mm. That was a, yeah, so, what yeah. a terrible thing to do. <laughs> so, um, after you've grabbed Buddha's uh, throat, whiskers, uh, as he was known yep. as for a little while, um, 1998, you retire after 207 games. You had some knee issues towards the back end. Were you ready, ready to retire? And, or were you... Yeah, I think I was. I was battling to get up week to week. Um, and yeah, it was hard work. It was hard work to. Uh, actually feel like I was fit enough for the next game. And um, prior to the last home and away game against Adelaide, I went and saw Mick. I had a year left on my contract uh, and I just went, had a chat to Mick and he said, how do you think you're going? And I said, I'm just hanging in there at the moment and I don't know if I can go around again. And he said, I'm probably thinking the same. So we, we said, that'll be it. We'd, Mick and I had made a decision, we'll finish up uh, at the end of the year, but we were still a chance to play finals. So I said, let's, we're not going to announce anything. Let's just sit on that until the season finishes. So we didn't announce anything. We played um, Adelaide in the last home and away game. So it was, that was quite emotional actually because I was playing on Subi Oval knowing if we lost, we could miss the finals and that would be my last ever game on Subi. Um, and if we won, we were going to scrape in the finals. We weren't getting a home final. So either way, it was my last ever game in front of my home crowd, which, which I loved. No one, uh, no one knew that? But no one knew. No, not even my teammates. No one knew. So um, anyway, we, we lost. So it was, I was thinking, well, that's it. And, but we only just lost. And then the results went our way and we ended up scraping into the finals. So we were then going to play the next week against the Bulldogs at the MCG. And uh, Mick spoke to me during the week like he always did and said, how are you going? You reckon you're going to be right? And I said, I think so. I think I'll, I'll be able to give you what I've been giving you. So I've been starting on the bench. Um, but it was a final, so Mick had, a, had an attitude about how fit you needed to be in finals. So, uh, you know, later in the week when we got to Melbourne, he made a final decision that he didn't think I was fit enough to play. And, you know, I was fine with it. I know what coaches have to go through to make those calls. Um, but it got blown up a little bit, like uh, he shouldn't have done it. We lost, you know, we lost. If we had won, people probably wouldn't have cared if if I hadn't have played or not. But because yeah. we lost people then, and, and I announced my retirement, I think the following week or maybe a week after that, um, fans got a bit annoyed that didn't get that chance to uh, either have a farewell game. I'm not really sure actually what they wanted, but um, yeah, there was no, there was no real issue there from from my behalf. You're pretty tight with Mick. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty tight. Yeah, you would have been. A, I mean, you you captain in his first year and you captain throughout his coaching career effectively. Uh, a mentor? Do you look back on your time under him as? 
Yeah, I you thought... Learn, you learn a lot, you go on to be yeah, a coach. Yeah, absolutely. We, we work... <clears throat> I think I work really strongly with Mick to support what he wanted to put in place for the team. doesn't mean I got it right all the time, but um, I was very focused on keeping the group uh, playing to the philosophies that Mick wanted us to play to. So on the ground, we were a very defensively focused team. It was keeping the boys switched on to defend hard the whole time. While we were still... When we had the footy, we would go hard and, and attack, but... Um, very quickly we'd bounce back into our defensive mindset. So, yeah, the fact that, um, you know, uh, I was captain all the way through um, my whole career uh, under Mick um, shows that we, we had a pretty good working relationship. Did, did he ever, when you were playing under him, mention to you that you would be a good coach in the future? Was that ever a sort of a conversation? I think so, no. Like, no. Um, wanted to keep his job. <laughs> I don't remember talking about that, but, you know, I was, uh, I was all the way through my career, I was working... Um, some hours in pharmacy um, so having studied pharmacy and working in that um, you know my expectation was um, that once I retired I'd be a pharmacist that was going to be my career after footy but I did that for the first year after I retired but um, missed the game a fair bit and then um, looked yeah, for an opportunity to get back involved as a coach Guys, that's it. Part one in the books. Stay tuned next week for part two with John Worsfold, his coaching career. Uh, some of the things he's done there, you may not even know. Clearly, West Coast premiership coach, but he moved to Adelaide for half a year when Phil Walsh tragically passed away. He then was shipped into Essendon to fix their culture after the drug scandal that uh, took over that footy club. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And he, he offers some great stories the best probably is when he leaves the West Coast Eagles, uh, something that I hadn't really heard before. Um, we hope you enjoyed this one. Stay tuned for next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.